This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. 2023 was the year of surprises. The long-awaited US recession never materialised. US equity markets came close to record highs, but the comeback hit China proved to be a disappointment as the reopening team ended on a quiver. Meanwhile, here in ASEAN, the strong US dollar led to outflows, while a slowdown in manufacturing exports, no thanks to, of course, a global slowdown impacted economies. No. So the question is, will 2024 be a repeat of last year's rather dismal performance or are there green shoots of recovery for ASEAN and which country in this region will outperform? For answers, we turn to Anand Patmakadan. He's head of regional equity research at Maybank Investment Bank, who is in the studio. And Christopher Liao, CIO, Principal Asset Management Singapore, joins us via Zoom. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Now, why don't we start with a bit of a glass half-empty look at markets because I'm that kind of girl, right? Never really truly optimistic. So most economists Economists are expecting the Fed to start cutting rates between 75 basis to 150 basis points. So the mantra shifts from higher for from higher for longer to how low can we go? But what happens if the doves fail to show for global markets? Chris, how will markets react? Because so far we are all expecting those cuts. Right. I think the most important thing that has happened in the last one over month um, has been the pivot by the Fed. Now, as to how much the Fed actually cuts, whether it's 75 basis points or to what you mentioned, 150 basis points, um, really depends on how the US economy performs, um, particularly the labor markets, as well as inflation. Uh, but I will point to the fact that the Fed has pivoted, and that is a big deal. Because previously, people were still thinking that the Fed might raise rates. But now, the Fed is clearly looking at balanced risk on the horizon and thinking that it does not need um, to put its foot on the pedal as hard mm. anymore. Okay. So, Anand, if we then just drill down to ASEAN, Maybank is expecting recovery in 2024 to 4.7%, which is better than last year, which was just 4%. So, if we focus on ASEAN, why is, why is your house suddenly turning positive? Is it just really due to a better global outlook? Well, that that's part of it. Actually, the, the global economic growth outlook, it will be weaker in 2024. And that's primarily because the US and China will be growing slower yeah, so we expect world growth or GDP growth to decelerate from 3.3% uh, to 2.8%, uh, primarily due to those two big economies slowing down. But for ASEAN, uh, green shoots, as you mentioned. Mm. Uh, you know, I borrowed the title, your title, actually. We, we always have the best titles. <laughs> so a couple of things driving that. One big one is recovery in manufacturing uh, and exports in particular. You know, I think the last time I was on the show, I mentioned that you know, GDP growth is positive, but for the manufacturing sector in ASEAN, it feels like a recession. In, it felt like a recession in 2023 because mm. exports were so weak. And that's really down to the electronic semiconductor cycle being quite negative in 2023. Now, we see that turning around in 2024, led by, you know, things like AI, inventory uh, depletion, uh, 5G demand. So that's going to be a big driver. A uh, couple of other things which are driving our, uh, you know, optimistic GDP growth forecast for 2024. 
Uh, one is uh, FDI inflows. That continues uh, uh, quite uh, aggressively across the board. You know, Vietnam, Malaysia, we're all reporting record FDI inflows. Uh, also tourism, we expect a stronger recovery in 2024 after a relatively uh, you know, uh, soft 2023 because of China. And finally, it's down to the countries themselves. And a lot of countries have interesting stimulus policies in place. Malaysia has many policies. We were looking forward to execution this year. But Thailand has got a, you know, a big consumer stimulus, hopefully, in the, in the pipeline, Vietnam as well. So for all those reasons. Yeah. Chris, are you as optimistic as Anand with regards to ASEAN's growth? Or are you a little bit worried about the fact that this year is really the year of elections and we're going to see some big countries facing elections. One, of course, is Indonesia and even the United States. Yes, indeed. I think if you look um, across not only ASEAN, if you look across Asia, there are quite a number of elections, uh, starting off with uh, Taiwan sometime in January, um, followed by, of course, Indonesia, and then the world's biggest democracy, India. Right. Mm. So um, as to whether I'm worried about uh, ASEAN because of the elections, uh, no, the short answer is no. I, I don't think uh, if you look at Indonesia in particular, I don't think uh, that the people who are currently um, in the running, I don't think their policies are significantly different from the current incumbent. Right. And the political temperature thus far I would say has not been um, overly hot, right? So, um, of course, uh, we do not know yet whether it will be a one-round or two-round election, uh, but I suspect that uh, Indonesia will come out of it fine. Okay, and and dare we ask what happens if uh, Donald Trump wins the United States presidential elections in, in November? After all, despite the barrage of criminal and civil charges against him, he's currently ahead in the polls. He's like Teflon, nothing sticks, <laughs> right? So are we going to see rising geopolitical risks and even more protectionism here, which is bad for free trade ASEAN? That is the expectation. I think uh, uh, Donald Trump has talked about increasing tariffs on a blanket basis, not just for uh, China imports, but you know, for all imports across the world to 10% which is a threefold rise from the average tariff mm. that the U.S. imposes right now. And that could be quite damaging for this uh, supply chain relocation thematic in particular. You know, one big reason we're seeing a lot of FDI into ASEAN away from China is to get away from this acrimonious U.S.-China relationship and the tariff risks uh, that entails. But if he's going to impose tariffs on everyone, it doesn't really make a difference where you, you move your production base. You're just going to get hit by the tariffs anyway. So that's a big risk uh, for ASEAN. We have to watch quite closely. The other, obviously, is a much more uh, aggressive uh, China policy, uh, and that could be quite negative for, for Chinese growth. Yeah. And by relationship, ASEAN, which is the biggest single trading partner for China, we're going to get hit as well. Okay, since Anand brought up China, I've got a question for you, Chris. China was supposed to be the comeback kid uh, in 2023, but of course that reopening theme sang faster than the Titanic. So, Chris, can the Middle Kingdom pick up the slack of a slowing global economy, or do you ex still expect it to do rather badly in 2024? You know, it's got headwinds such as the GDP-heavy property sector issues, which just don't seem to go away. Right. So, I don't think China is in the same place it was maybe five, ten years ago, where you could see GDP growth growing at seven, eight, nine percent. Mm. Right, so you've got to be, you know, like uh, 
yeah, you got to say, let it go, right? Uh, those <laughs> days are over. <laughs> so It's like um, us, we're no longer those Asian tigers, yes. but never mind, yes. Yeah, so I would say that China has a couple of challenges um, on its hands. Now, what you mentioned, property is one of them. Um, of course, the trade uh, tensions and the geopolitics is not helping either. Uh, but they have eased, right? They have eased policies on property, they have eased fiscal spending, um, they have eased monetary policy, um, but certainly um, more is needed, right? Given the reaction uh, from the markets, the reaction from the economy, the reaction from um, the private sector and and the consumers at large. But there seems right? to be a reluctance, right, Chris? They don't seem to be very aggressive. If yeah, they're not, they're not very aggressive. I think they are moving and I would say a rather piecemeal, mm. reactionary and a cautious manner, right? And uh, part of that is because of their experience right? going way back um, in 2008 uh, when they did a big bazooka and even more recently in 2015, 2016 when they overstimulated the property sector. So they don't want to go back there again. Okay. Um, but having said that, right, the property sector is indeed a real drag because it's a very big contributor to GDP in one form or another. Okay, with that in mind, I want to put you on the spot, Anand. You first. Chris, you'll get your turn. Let's rank the ASEAN 6. Which countries do you think will do best economically, from an economic perspective in 2024? Which is your favourite and then we'll go down to the least favourite? Sure. I mean, purely on GDP growth numbers, so looking at the top down, I mean, Vietnam will continue to, to, to lead the pack. It was a bit uh, of a, a laggard in 2023, but this year we're looking at about 6% uh, GDP growth there. And then, uh, you know, the, the domestic focus economies like the Philippines and Indonesia uh, should be quite steady performance in the 5 to 6% range. That's, a lot of that is predicated on the fact that we do expect rates for these two countries to start coming off in the second half. You know, these two raised interest rates by the most compared to all the other ASEAN countries. And as they bring rates down, that could be very stimulative for consumption. So that's a key thematic for us, uh, for those two countries. Then you have the two middle-income trap countries, unfortunately, Malaysia and Thailand, which are doing 3 to 4%. For Malaysia, we think 4.4% this year is uh, realistic. And finally, you have, you have Singapore, which does not look impressive at 2%, but there's a lot of reinvention going on underneath, especially in terms of the green economy. Uh, and of course, there are some political uh, tailwinds as well from the... Uh, Shift shifting. in power. Exactly. Right. Yeah, later later this year. So that's all interesting things to watch, despite okay. the slow GDP growth. Chris, do you have a different list from Anand? In terms of his top picks, in terms of how the economies will do? Well, I would say that, um, Indonesia is probably the top of the pile. Um, Indonesia has a strong um, domestic consumption recovery. They also have a good FDI story. Um, they have cleverly been able to attract um, quite a lot of uh, Chinese investments, uh, surprisingly. Um, in order to do further processing of um, their raw materials, especially those relating to EV. And that has really been helping uh, them on their trade balance, right? Um, in terms of uh, ranking, I would say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into the middle of the pile. I would say probably um, the one that worries me the most is uh, Thailand, right? Thailand's uh, plan um, to give this Digital wallet policy is a little bit, um, I would say, a little bit worrying. 
Um, the size of it is not small, mm. and Thailand does have a public debt problem. So I'm not sure what kind of multiplier effect they will be able to get from this digital wallet policy, right? But certainly it will put a stress on their public debt. Okay, very quickly, last question before we go to a break. And then your view on the ringgit. We have to ask this because everybody's wondering where is it going to go? Your house view is 440. Are we going to get there before year end? Uh, probably the second half of the year because that's when we expect US rates to start being cut. We don't expect US rates to be cut until the third quarter uh, of this year. So 440, it's not a huge appreciation to no, be honest. No, not yeah, at all. Yeah. And that's really, you know, our view is really tempered by the fact that the, the ringgit is quite correlated to the Chinese yuan. And the fact that China will continue to struggle this year, we think, in terms of uh, GDP momentum. And probably even when the US cuts, you know, China will maintain a very loose monetary policy to try to stimulate the economy. And that's going to weigh on the yuan, and that's going to weigh on the ringgit. So the ringgit is probably not the best ASEAN currency to play for a big recovery this year, but it will recover. Because once upon a time, you know, it was only just... 250 and of course since the Asian financial crisis is yeah. depreciated by 87% so you're giving away our age yeah. <laughs> okay. so, yes <laughs> I remember those days very yes, well yes <laughs> very much so on the breakfast grill this morning is our markets outlook panel consisting of Anand Padmakadan Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank who's in the studio and Christopher Liao CIO Principal Asset Management Singapore joining us via Zoom uh, when we come back we're going to take a look at what's going to make you money in the ASEAN mar- markets BFM 89 you are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome back to the Markets Outlook Breakfast Grill. In the hot seats this morning are Anand Patnokadan, Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank, who's in the studio, and Christopher Liao, CIO, Principal Asset Management Singapore, joining us via Zoom. Before the break, we had a quick look at the ASEAN economies and which will do better in 2024. Now, gentlemen, time to be to get to some specifics on how to make money. So, Anand, let me start with you. How should we approach ASEAN? Is it going to be from a thematic perspective or is it just choosing specific countries? What is your investment strategy? Yeah, I, I kind of prefer to go the thematic route. I mean, if we talk about countries or ASEAN as a whole, it has been a hugely underperforming asset class for many, many years. So where you make money is by picking the right thematics or the right stocks uh, within the countries that, that fit that thematic. Uh, and Malaysia is a, is a classic example for this year. You know, we're looking at a lot of uh, activity in the renewable energy space, uh, also in terms of the FDI space, uh, a lot of state-level uh, sort of developments like in Penang, Johor. So all those have specific stocks uh, that are exposed uh, to those thematics, which I can go through later if you want. Yes, we will. Uh, Chris, what about you? From, from the principal asset management perspective, how would you go about investing in ASEAN? Well, I think ASEAN um, is an is a area where you find a lot of interesting companies, right, run by entrepreneurs. And I think that's the way to go. You've got to go from bottom up, right? Mm. Uh, the thematics will help. The thematics give you a, a kind of a way to maybe screen and, and maybe uh, make it easier for you to choose where to look. Uh, but really, I, I think the entrepreneur the drive, the SMEs, um, are the big winners in, in ASEAN. Okay, so that means there's a lot more hard work to be done, isn't it, Chris? Uh, then how do you, how do you pick? Are you, is it like, do you look at certain sectors or is it just really just down to the individual performance of each and every company? Uh, their management then counts, the sector that they're in. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, if you have a team of people on the ground, 
um, visiting companies, um, going around for meetings. You're bound to come across uh, good corporates, good management, um, companies who are, who are doing well, who are growing, finding new areas to expand into. And I think that's, that's really key, right? You can't just buy the broad market in Asia. Okay, we'll come That's back. We'll come back to you, Chris, in terms of what are the, some of the sectors that excite you. But and then let's talk about these themes that you're talking about. What do you think is going to be the top theme for ASEAN that you know really we should be paying attention to? That maybe we can apply a little bit more broadly to this to these markets. Yeah, I think there are two thematics which we are focused on. Um, one is uh, consumption recovery. So I think uh, you know 2023 was a bit of a perfect storm. You had GDP growth decelerating, inflation was high, eroding consumption. At the same time, input costs were up as well mm. because currencies were, were depreciating. You're kind of going to see the reverse in 2024. You know, currencies are expected to strengthen uh, and that should help the margin picture uh, for consumption or consumer stocks. Uh, also, at the same time, inflation is, is cooling. So that's more consumption power uh, and GDP growth is accelerating. So consumer stocks would be a good place to be. So I think in, in a Malaysia context, things like farm fresh, uh, Jaya food might be worth revisiting uh, on, a, on the margin perspective. Uh, but the bigger consumer plays are really in countries like the Philippines and Indonesia, as I mentioned before, you know, in the Philippines, SM Investments, GT Capital, Jollibee, and the whole spectrum of consumption. And those will be, you know, sort of helped by interest rate cuts as well. And Indonesia, things like Mapi, Mayora, mm. uh, Indofood uh, would be stocks we would look at from the consumption thematic. The second thematic would really be policy execution. And this is much more uh, sort of uh, what we've been talking about, what Chris mentioned in, in Thailand as well in terms of uh, that big uh, cash handout that they are looking to give away that will boost consumption. In Malaysia, we have a whole slew of policies we are meant to execute on this year. You know, Government Procurement Act, RE Exchange, uh, the NETR investments. So, so many NIMP. things. NIMP. NIMP, lots and of acronyms. And the broad Madani economy. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I think uh, this is the year where, you know, it's kind of a bit like make, make or break in terms of government credibility uh, in Malaysia. But if they do execute... And the market, you know, it's got off to a good start in the first week of this year. I think we, you know, we should definitely keep an eye on Malaysia. Um, yeah, and I think for one other market, which I always like, you know, because it reminds me of Malaysia 25 years ago as Vietnam. Okay. The big push there is the government is getting around to the fact that, you know, we, we need to get out of frontier market status and into emerging market status because that's really going to be really good for our markets, really good, good for PR as well. So we do expect traction on that uh, by the end of this year with FTSE especially. And that you know, sort of underpins our 25% upside to that market this year. Okay, Chris, let's use Vietnam as an example to discuss the uh, investment strategy at principle, right? How do you actually go through a market like this, which some would say is frontier, but supposedly going to be moving to the emerging markets index, large population, you know, it's got the right demographics, but perhaps companies that are a little bit more opaque, not so open to seeing investors. How do you then pick the winners and what are some of the winners that you notice there? Right, so... Actually, for Vietnam, we have a team in Thailand um, that covers them closely. Um, we have some uh, native Vietnamese speakers as well on the team. So, um, because of the geographic um, distance uh, between Thailand and Vietnam, so they get a lot of insights. And you know, given that Indochina is uh, is really uh, quite integrated in, in, in a way, right? Uh, getting more integrated. So the people in, in Thailand, uh, the corporates in Thailand are able to perhaps uh, get a little bit of a leg up in terms of uh, insights as to what might yeah. happen okay. in Thailand. So I would say that uh, uh, 
the, the team is able to see a lot of companies. Um, do you have any preferences that are to doing sectors? well? Consumer is one of them, right? Um, and those that are export oriented, that, that is another one. But I think long term, Vietnam offers a very interesting proposition because if you look at the um, education level of uh, the Vietnamese, right? If you look at the program for international student assessment scores by by Vietnam, they rank very high in the ASEAN context, right? I think they are the second highest in ASEAN. So basically, so it's long the term, very strong. You can't ignore that market, right? Okay, we don't have much no. time left. So uh, Anand, I need to ask you, for ASEAN, okay, what then are your real, real top five picks that people just cannot ignore? You mentioned some names already from a consumer perspective and policy execution perspective, but your top five picks, please. Yeah, so I think the, the three Philippines names I mentioned, I, I quite like. I think uh, the Philippines was quite underperformer last year. Should be a big performer this year and come back, kid. Yeah, Indonesia, interesting. Uh, I actually like the banks in Indonesia quite a bit. Mandiri, uh, BCA, Rakyat. Primarily because the Indonesian banks are a bit strange compared to the other banks in ASEAN. You know, when interest rates go up, most banks see margin expansion. For, yes. in, for Indonesian banks, it's a bit more muted. Uh, actually, they do see some margin contraction because in their economy, you know, the, the loans uh, reprice slower than deposits. So when rates are being cut, many people are saying, you know, take some profit on the banks. But in Indonesia, the margins are going to expand into a year when loan growth is going to accelerate. So that's a very good combination. So I like those two thematics, one for Philippines, one for Indonesia. Uh, for Malaysia, uh, I think uh, I'll just give you three stock picks. One, Gamuda. Uh, I think we've been a long time But it's fan. done so well last year already. It can still do better. Uh, you know, I think if you look at stocks like YTL Corp, YTL Power. Those have done really, really well in 2023. They were the top performers again. And I bet you said that six months ago and look how they've done in the last six months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the first week, they're up 20%. I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah. But no, yes. no, no. It's, it's just that, you know, you shouldn't let go of your winners too, too quickly because in Malaysia, to be, to be blunt, there are not that many winners. And when you do find a winner... People tend to back it all the way. So Gamuda is one. I think uh, uh, pay attention to the Gamuda Green Plan 2025. I think there's a lot of upside in that. Genting is the other one. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we do see a lot of recovery for all their assets across the world. And the third one is great tech in the tech space. You have to have something in tech. And I think uh, great tech at this point is a, is a good exposure to, uh, to EV and solar. Okay, Chris, you get the last word in the last minute or so. Um, Malaysia, are you still a believer Wear your foreign fund manager hat and tell us, is it time to buy this market after years of disappointment or is it something you've kind of just written off? No, I don't think you can buy the, the whole market in Malaysia, right? So you need to go down to the thematics, down to the companies. And uh, like, for example, as uh, Anand said this now about what's happening in Penang, uh, for example, I think Semicon is doing well. So there's improving demand for all sorts of devices. And I think uh, this idea or notion of uh, supply chain diversification will really benefit, you know, a place like Penang, where there's entrepreneurship and uh, there's, uh, there's enough uh, skilled manpower to grow. But it's not a market you can buy from top down, unfortunately. FBMKLCI no, no. likely to still disappoint, right? You, you would have lost your pants if you had lost, <laughs> bought the FBMKLCI <laughs> for the last couple of years. Yeah. On the Market Outlook Breakfast Grill this morning was Anand Padmakanan, Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank, who's in the studio, and Chris Liao, CIO, Principal Asset Management Singapore. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.